This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, hey, it's Wednesday, July 27th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria Devetti. I'm Ryan Jesperson. And uh, we've had quite the busy news week. I don't know, Ryan, do you remember back in the days of yore when news used to slow down in the summer? Yeah, um, summer used to be when journalists and commentators and correspondents and photographers would take their vacation. They'd head out to the backcountry, but that doesn't happen. It's not an option when the National Sporting Institution Hockey Canada is blowing up and the Pope is visiting and there's leadership races for political parties, both federally and provincially. There's a lot going on. There really is. Um, You know, as you've already noted, uh, the Conservative Party has confirmed they're going to have another leadership debate in August, August 3rd. Uh, Pierre has already said he's going to you know, pull out of uh, that debate. And he actually put out a statement really ripping into the CPC organized Edmonton debate, which I found somewhat amusing. Um, Stephen Harper also endorsed Pierre for leader. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. As you noted, um, the Pope is in Canada. Uh, He did sort of apologize. Um, He apologized for many Christians and many members of the church who were involved in residential schools, uh, didn't apologize for the church itself, nor did he revoke or repudiate the church's doctrine of discovery. Um, So, I mean, there's that. Uh, The WHO declared monkeypox a global health emergency. So that's also something. Just what we needed. Just another health emergency. Yeah. A pox virus to mix in with a coronavirus. Um, And then, you know, how the House of Commons has actually been really, really busy with like committee work. Um, The MPs this week questioned emergency preparedness minister Bill Blair, along with RCMP commissioner Brenda Lucky um, on the Committee of Public Safety and National Security. You know, they're beginning its hearings on the alleged uh, political interference in the investigation of the 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia. Um, Hockey Canada was also testifying uh, this week to the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. And Rogers execs um, were testifying this week at the uh, Standing Committee on Industry and Technology. So just a whole lot going on. Right. It, it, we heard through that those proceedings as well that a coding error was what led to the lack or the loss of service, cell service, Internet connectivity for millions of Canadians for an extended period of time. I couldn't help but think about that poor bastard. The one person responsible for the coding, the one person that hit the enter key that wiped out the communications of millions of Canadians for the better part of a week in some circumstances. Can you imagine screwing up like that on the job? That's a pretty high profile screw up. I feel bad for that person. Well, listen, the promise that we make our subscribers, those that are downloading the podcast, checking us out on YouTube, Sapria, is that we will cut through the noise of the biggest stories of the week. And that's what we're about to get into. We're really proud to partner with We Know Training as our title sponsor here on Seriously. If you're an association, a regulator, a government ministry, or a credentialing and licensing body, you want to hear this. Yeah, you need to know about We Know Training. If you need to deliver training in a regulated industry like liquor and cannabis retail workers for provincial regulators or accredited training for licensed professions like insurance, financial planning um, and real estate, you already know how much of a challenge it can be to deliver high quality, 
professional training in an efficient manner. And we know from news stories in the past that when people in these incredibly important industries don't use a trustworthy and responsible training partner, it can result in a huge risk to the public and compromise people's safety and well-being as a result. And that's why it's so imperative to ensure this type of training is delivered by actual experts. And there's no better partner than the folks over at We Know Training. Since 2005, We Know Training has helped hundreds of North American associations and organizations deliver the highest quality training and testing solutions. Sapria, I've known this team for a long time and I've come to achieve a pretty good understanding of how they operate. And this isn't your standard LMS or like learning management system. They specialize in high stakes training. Like you said, for associations and regulators and governments, credentialing bodies with the highest degree of quality and trust, they are a fully managed solution partner who can handle everything for you. Their platform, their learner verification technology, makes sure you're credentialing the right people with a high degree of trust. If you're looking for a training partner that can provide high stakes training without the hassle, look up We Know Training. You can learn more on their website at weknowtraining.ca. All right, let's get to the lead. So, Ryan, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of, uh, you know, I've read a lot of columns. I've been on a lot of political panels and a lot of them have been focused on how divided this conservative party is, right? Mm. Like, oh, what's the tone the party is taking? There's so much internal strife within the party. Um, I beg to differ with a lot of those takes um, because I would suggest that the conservative party isn't divided. Um, everybody else seems to be, but the party itself um, is in fact quite united. And, you know, we already touched on this in the intro, but Pierre has the endorsement of the majority of caucus. He has the endorsement of former leader Andrew Scheer. Um, the majority of conservative members or voters tend to prefer him as well. And now he's got head honcho himself, former prime minister, Stephen Harper, coming in to endorse his former parliamentary secretary and cabinet minister in his government. Here is former prime minister Stephen Harper himself. In this particular race, there's been a lot of speculation about whom I support or do not support and why. So it may be useful for my fellow party members to hear my views straight from me. It's a strong field, but one candidate has garnered disproportionate attention. Pierre Poilievre was a strong minister in my government. In the past several years, he's been our party's most vocal and effective critic of the Trudeau Liberals. He's been talking about the issues, especially the economic issues, that matter. Slow growth, debt, inflation, lack of job and housing opportunities, and the need to fix the institutions that are failing Canadian families. He's proposing answers rooted in sound conservative ideas, but ones adapted for today's realities. That's why he has the strong support of our caucus and our existing membership, and why he is bringing the most new members and a new generation into our party. That's kind of a big deal. It, it really is. And now I don't think it necessarily changes a lot in terms of the momentum of the race. Like um, the, you know, Pierre camp seems to have had this on lock for, for quite some time and the lead that they've managed to garner, um, you know, seems to be insurmountable, particularly once Brown was sort of, uh, you know, ejected from, from the race. But I, I don't know, it just in terms of like a lot of this rhetoric about that, there's a lot of division or acrimony in the party. It doesn't really just seem to be borne out in reality. You know, I, I agree that people who were once affiliated with the party in some way, most of whom were on the, um, you know, PC side of things and not the reform side of things are 
you know, generally upset at the direction I think the party is taking in terms of, you know, the support for the convoy and seeming too chummy with the kinds of people who have, you know, pretty abhorrent views um, coming across as anti-vaccine or generally anti-science and endorsing um, or being a little bit more permissible when it comes to conspiracy theories. But like, I don't know, none of this happened overnight. And the party itself doesn't seem to think it's much of an issue. It seems like a lot of outsiders that think it's an issue. And I know you're, you know, it, you, you were speaking to an organization, Centerized Conservative. So, like, I'm really interested to hear your take on this. Yeah, well, and and we've got an event coming up in, in a couple of weeks, I guess, August 11th that I'm going to participate in. I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious to see. The, the roster of speakers is pretty interesting. Christy Clark, former premier of B.C., is headlining, so to speak. She's going to deliver the keynote. You've got, you know, well-known, renowned pundits like Andrew Coyne. And and, and I mean, you've, you've even got some some sort of right wingers there as well. And I think that the idea they're endeavoring to figure out what what the viability of a so-called centrist conservative movement might be. I don't know. I don't know if there's an appetite for it. I think it's really interesting that you're bringing up reform and PC, if you look back to that era of conservatism in Canada, is it fair to say, I think it is, that under Preston Manning, the reform movement was built out of the West to represent the West in yeah. Ottawa? And I kind of get the sense now that a conservative party led by Pierre Polyev is a party that is comfortable being friendly with the so-called freedom convoy. I'm not letting the Easterners off the hook, but I think there's a perception that that freedom convoy represents a lot of so-called Western perspectives. Is that fair to say? You take a look at how the, the PC party of old didn't have a ton of representation. It, it, was, it, it had the representation it needed in the East. And now you look at those maybe legacy conservative figures from the more progressive conservative side. They're getting booed. They're getting yeah. booed. There's hostility within conservative circles. And that suggests to me that while the party may be moving in one direction, it may also be moving back toward representing a certain regional perspective. Do you think? Well, I mean, didn't they already sort of rep that regional perspective? I mean, well, you can't it, ignore it. That's for no, sure. No, 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 you can't. You can't. Um, I, and I, I would just say, I don't know if the, you know, Pierre Polyev necessarily falls into a neat delineation of reform versus like PC. I think he's just uh, steeped into the conservative, you know, culture wars and is really leaning into what, uh, you know, a conservative Internet culture is like and is trying to bring in, you know, a new generation of uh, potential conservative voters into the fold. And I think part of the strategy here is also, you know, ideally from their perspective to suppress uh, the liberal vote. Um, you know, folks are going to be somewhat tired uh, of the liberal party whenever the next election is. Arguably, they're already a little bit tired of the liberal party. Right. Um, so to a certain degree, you could have like an inanimate carbon rod leading the uh, conservatives and they'd still get a pretty decent amount of the vote. And if you are able to suppress the liberal vote, I mean, there's your win right there. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, the former prime minister, Stephen Harper, making comments about what has caught his eye or or, or how Pierre Polyev earned his endorsement, so to speak. And he talked a lot about bringing in new members and, and the members that Mr. Polyev is bringing in quite a bit different, generally speaking, than the members that Stephen Harper would have brought in, probably than the members that Andrew Scheer would have brought in. The question is, are these 
literally hundreds of thousands, more than 300,000 of them, these memberships they say they've sold, no reason to believe they haven't, will they stick around? He needs them to stick around long enough to vote for him in the leadership race, but ideally, they want these new members to stick around and vote for the conservatives in the next federal election as well. That's a further ways away, and that might be a bigger challenge. It, 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 yeah, I, I, I think so too, but I think you're already sort of starting to see the outward strategy of trying to bring in, you know, particularly male millennials and older Gen Zers into the conservative fold. You saw that with um, his housing plank. You saw that with going on Jordan Peterson's podcast. Right. Um, and you see that with a lot of his strategy generally of putting out these uh, unidirectional videos. Right. He's not putting out stuff onto like TikTok or whatever. He's putting out um, these videos to to YouTube and, and to Twitter. So that's also interesting because he's, um, you know, you have less of a chance of being dragged. I suppose, by the youth um, if you're not playing on their playground. But anyway, I just think it's like very interesting that Stephen Harper has decided to weigh in on this. Um, I think part of it is also a big fuck you to Jean Charest. Like Mm. there's no secret that those two men um, don't exactly uh, see eye to eye. Um, But yeah, I mean, every conservative I've spoken to thus far about this is basically like, yeah, I mean, the race is over. The race has been over. And this is just like the nail in the coffin. Now, Sapria, Mr. Charest, the former Quebec premier, of course, did his best just a short time ago to prove he is not an inanimate (laughs) carbon rod. In fact, he does have a good sense of humor and and he wanted to prove it with this video. Next mean tweet. You know, Jean Charest, that evil right wing quasi fascist former liberal premier of Quebec, that guy, Jesus. Okay, so we know who you're voting for. Um, You should retire already. No one wants you as leader of a conga line. Never mind the country. (laughs) You get full points for uh, for your humor. Intelligence, that's another story. It comes across as likable anyway. I I guess. I mean, this is would (laughs) have been funny like 10. Well, just it would have been funny 10 years ago. This is like, you know, just so not au courant. Um, And it's like it's kind of cringy to watch somebody who only recently joined Twitter, um, you know, pull out this like strategy that was funny 10 years ago. And it just seems like his social team is made up of. I don't know, like young boomers or older Gen Xers who are trying to pretend like they're young and hip and, oh, this is what the kids want, right? Mean tweets. This That's, just, that's funny. This feels like watching Usain Bolt back in the day uh, compete at like World Track and Field Championships, compete at the Olympic Games. It's like everybody knows the outcome of the race before they even run it. The formality, they have to run the race. But even halfway through, the only thing you're watching to see is if Usain Bolt was going to break his own world record again. Maybe some people cared about who was going to finish second. This conservative leadership race, it feels to me, has been tied up with a bow and done uh, for the last number of months. And I think most people are ready to just move on and start talking about how the federal parties are going to stack up. Why don't we take a look at another story? This is one that's catching our our eye, and and I know that, that millions of Canadians are absolutely appalled. This is the story of Hockey Canada and horrific allegations of sexual abuse aimed at at least two of the world junior teams from 2003, Sapria, and 2018. Yeah, so, you know, this week, Hockey Canada released what they called an action plan to help put out, you know, the tire fire that they really created for themselves. They were also at the uh, Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage this week, and we found out, actually, that 
Sport Canada was aware of an alleged sexual assault that was tied to Hockey Canada in 2018, but they didn't inform the minister. And uh, just to give a little bit of background for folks, Sport Canada is a branch of the Department of Canadian Heritage that develops, you know, the overarching federal policy for, for sport in this country. And, you know, all of the MPs at committee were very clearly frustrated by this. Um, Sport Minister Pascal Saint-Ange uh, pointed out, though, that you Sport Canada had what she referred to as minimal information and didn't know any of the details of the alleged sexual assault until it was reported by the media. But I mean, we're all sort of, you know, uh, rap, like in, enthralled, I guess, or, or, or glued to our screens and reading about this story. Um, but are any of us really surprised and isn't a huge part of this problem due to the fact that we've, you know, basically have collectively ignored what hockey culture is actually like, like, I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, but in back in 2019, um, CTV's the social discussed this and Jess Allen, who's uh, you know, a, a, a host on, on that show um, discussed, they were discussing the fallout of Don Cherry's you people comment. And Jess Allen said this, um, and it led to just huge widespread outrage and calls for her uh, firing and resignation. Let's, let's fire off that clip. Because I don't worship at the, the altar of hockey. I never have. And maybe it's because of where I grew up, but there's, there's a, and going to a couple different universities, there's a certain type of person in my mind, in my experience who does. And they all tended to be white boys who weren't um, let's say very nice. They were not generally thoughtful. They were often bullies. Uh, their parents were able to afford to put them, you know, spend $5,000 a year on minor hockey instead of $5,000, a lot of money. You could do other things besides spending your time in an arena. You can go on a trip and learn about the world, see other things, eh? You know, like it's, it, the place is a, the world is a big place. Maybe get side out of that bubble. And for me, Don Cherry is the walking and talking representative of that type. Sapria, you can hear it in the live studio audience there that was in attendance when she was making those comments, right? You could tell that right when she started to go down that path, you could hear that sort of smattering of applause, like, uh, one, like uh... one here, one there, one here. And then you also kind of hear this collective, almost a gasp, like she's going there. She's going to speak of it, right? She's going to touch on it and she's going to say it all out loud. You can even see her co-hosts that are sitting there with her demonstrably uncomfortable as she says what a lot of people are thinking. Yeah. And she was right. And she was right. Like, mm. and this is what I think we're really missing when we're talking about this is that, I don't know, like things are messed up uh, the way they are in organizations like hockey Canada, because we've done such a good job of, you know, giving a voice and platforming people with huge platforms to insist that rape culture and misogyny aren't actually issues to be dealt with and are instead just things that like, I don't know, historic, hysterical, radical leftist feminists with a militant woke agenda mm. have come up with to pass the time. And like, I don't know, like this is just a perfect example of how hockey Canada and hockey culture more generally um, are where toxic masculinity and rape culture come to intertwine and produce these horrific outcomes. And Hockey Canada thus far, at least, seems to just be dealing with this issue as if it's like a like a crisis comms or PR issue. And I don't know how anybody can stay on. Yeah, you've got the, the you've got the tweet from Sheldon Kennedy up there right now. And, you know, Sheldon Kennedy, obviously a big advocate for 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 victims and, you know, and, and survivors of, of sexual um, abuse and He's basically calling for the entire leadership at Hockey Canada to, to go. And it's hard to disagree with that. Like, how can you be part of the solution 
um, in terms of changing the culture at Hockey Canada if you're actively part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, he's calling for CEO Scott Smith to resign. He took over, what, three weeks ago, like less than four weeks ago when Tom Rennie walked away. So this is obviously a, a huge deal for Hockey Canada. I think that there's been a lot of conversation in past, Supriya, when you talk about things like toxic masculinity, I even guarantee that some of the people that have downloaded this podcast that are watching it on YouTube right now are rolling their eyes at it because yeah. the minute that you hear the phrase, you want to write it off. You want to dismiss it. And I think it's important for people like me, a huge hockey fan, someone who plays hockey, someone who worked for a National Hockey League team to stare at our fellow hockey fans in the eyes and say, what part of these allegations, these horrific allegations of rape, of sexual assault, what part of it are you okay with? What part of it are you prepared to make excuses for? What part of it are you prepared to dismiss as a one-off? Because when it comes down to it, we understand that there is a cancer here and it has to be addressed. And there's the next generation of young athletes that want to love what they do and they want to feel good about participating. And that cannot happen until crimes, alleged crimes like these are taken seriously and addressed. One of the biggest things that Canadians are having a problem with to state the obvious is the so-called slush fund. Now, oh, all yeah. organizations have contingency funds. All organizations have budgets for unexpected expenses. I don't think it's fair to spin this as a slush fund exclusively to settle sexual assault claims. But the fact of the matter is, Hockey Canada paid out settlements from fees gleaned from memberships and people that are paying registration fees for their kids to play hockey quite rightfully don't want any part of that so this conversation impacts literally millions of people not just hockey fans and it's a really albeit uncomfortable a really important one yeah but i don't know if we're ever going to be able to like have a proper conversation about this until we can actually tackle you know to your point um toxic masculinity and just rape culture more generally and i think you know you hit it on you hit the nail on the head a lot of people that are listening to this are probably rolling their eyes um, i'm sure we're both going to get uh, at least a, a few annoyed comments or, or emails about this um but again like this stuff doesn't just happen um you know you do these sorts of things when you think you're gonna get away with it and you think you're going to get away with it because the leaders or the coaches or those at the top have given you sort of the either a wink or a nudge, like an implicit like, yeah, go ahead. Um, or, or you just know that these sorts of things are, are somewhat permissible and accepted. And I don't know, it's just uh, we it's a really shitty place to sort of. Um, be in. And I, I don't know if we're ever really going to be able to tackle this until we can have like an honest conversation about like what these little boys um, are learning. Like, what are they taught that they're becoming men like this? Right. Like, I don't know. These are conversations. Of course, people will look to Hockey Canada to see what those leadership decisions look like. People will look to the National Hockey League to show leadership on this. We've heard from Canada's top women players <clears throat> chiming in on this. Ultimately, though, this is also going to have a big impact, and it needs to, at kitchen tables and in dressing rooms from Little Tim Bits Hockey, the five-year-olds, all the way up. Before we run out of time, Sabri, every week, we take a look at one story making news, and we ask, seriously? And this week, it's in our neck of the woods with the front runner in the race to replace Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, Danielle Smith, interviewing a naturopath. Christine Perkins had this to say about the different stages of cancer. Absolutely. Once you've arrived and got stage four cancer and there's 
radiation and surgery and chemotherapy, that's an incredibly expensive intervention, not just for the system, but also expensive in the toll it takes on the body. But when you think about everything that built up before you got Mm -hmm. to stage four in that diagnosis, that's completely within your control. And there's something that you can do about that that is different. Hmm. I, I, wow. Like, okay, so you and I have both worked with Danielle. Yeah. it's not unlike her to sort of take these sorts of positions. I, I, I don't think I, I think that's more than fair to say. I mean, when she was on the air still with with uh, Global News Radio, um, she used to endorse very weird covid um, theories. Right. And, and treatments that were debunked and, and disproven. So, again, this this isn't necessarily out of the realm of the sort of things that she does say. But what is different about this is that there has been. Um, you know, very quick and united condemnation of her comments. And I, I don't know if you've necessarily seen that in the past because she would have, you know, maybe have found at least a few sympathetic ears within her side of the of the movement, of the conservative movement. And you're not seeing that this time around. Now, this time, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that's that's really a, a step too far. Yeah, we <clears throat> spoke on my show Real Talk just a couple of days ago with a uh, nurse practitioner that works in oncology. She's actually president of the National Association, and, and she called these comments abhorrent, suggesting that it lays blame essentially at the feet of people that have been diagnosed with cancer or that are dealing with stage four cancer. Uh, in her words, as if they needed some other burden to shoulder as they make their way through that journey. There's a pretty prominent Western correspondent, Don Braid. Everybody reads Don Braid's political columns. He said, had I taken Danielle Smith's advice on cancer, I'd be dead right now. So it certainly resonated. The question is, what will this do to her chances? There's sure controversial or hurtful or appalling comments you can make about cancer, uh, a disease that really impacts everybody one in two canadians will be diagnosed with it and if it's not you knock on wood somebody that you know will have been diagnosed with it and potentially passed away the bigger question for a show like this sabria is what does it do to her political chances and could this be a nail in the coffin could it be a stumble in the campaign could it set her campaign back and allow a more centrist or reasonable or pragmatic candidate to step forward remains to be seen much like pierre polyev in the federal conservative race everybody's talking about Danielle Smith. She's taken up all the noise. She's got all the oxygen in the room. And of course, that's a campaign strategy. Yeah, it is. Um, but if you let you ask me the question, um, I'm going to say I don't think it's a nail in her coffin. I think this is part of her appeal that she, you know, says the things that, um, you know, other people won't. And she's unafraid to speak her mind and, you know, um, fuck the establishment and their censorship, like free speech all the way, even if you're offended by it. Who cares? And so I think, you know, and you saw this a little bit in terms of the damage control video that she put out. She didn't. And I put, you know, damage control in like air quotes because, I mean, she didn't really walk her comments back all that much. And it was just critical of her critics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Claiming that it was like the NDP who was um, riling everybody up. And so I don't know, like if you were going to walk it back, that would have been the time to do it. And if you're not going to walk it back then, then when are you? Um, and so I think she's going all in. Let me tell you what the, the provincial election in 2023 in Alberta is going to look like. It's going to be Danielle Smith uh, talking about, you know, curing stage four cancer with mustard powder. And it's going <laughs> to be Rachel Notley leading the NDP, just looking at Albertans through the camera lens saying, 
I just promise I won't say shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see who wins. Anyway, it gives us lots to talk about in weeks to come right here on Seriously. So you can connect with us on Instagram at SeriouslyPod, on Twitter at Supriya and Ryan. You can check out our website, SeriouslyPod.com. And you can always email us, talk at SeriouslyPod.com if you want to send hate mail directly or love mail to Ryan and I. <laughs> yeah, love mail is so much less exciting, <laughs> but we do want to know what's resonating with you as you check out every weekly episode here on Wednesdays or whenever you give us your time. It's the greatest gift you can give us. Thanks for checking out this episode of Seriously, and we'll talk to you again next week. 